welcome to the Gridiron Show, the final Gridiron Show to come to you from Radio Row. And the reason it's the final show to come to you from Radio Row, because of the 250 odd stations that broadcast from here, there are now only two. It's Saturday morning, everyone's gone home, and yet somehow we're still here. We've got Ron Jaworski, Lindsay Rhodes, and Jay Ajayi all coming for you. This is the Gridiron Show. Indeed, welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you in the game. Head to touchdowntrips.com or facebook.com forward slash touchdown trips to register your interest in our big trip for next year. Or if you're planning any travel to watch well, sports in general, they do cover other sports as well, but specifically for the NFL, then head to those specified websites. Uh, Liam Blackburn joining us in full on the podcast today with Ollie Hunter here as well. And Liam, I have to say, a wonderful addition to the dance moves of the, uh, of the intro. Norm- Thank you. Normally we get Ollie with the drums, I bust out a bit of robot, and you were just, you had the rope, you were fishing, you went all out. Yeah, I feel enjoyed it. without Matthew Sherry here that there's got to be a vacancy for a baboon which needs to be filled, so <laughs> <laughs> stepped up to the role. <laughs> uh, Can so you mouth breathe him as well? Like him as well. There we go. <laughs> uh, as the Gridiron Show would like to publicly apologise for Matthew Sherry. And everything he entails. The Super Bowl party is almost entirely sold out. There are going to be about 50 or so tickets on the door, and you can still buy them online. £10, free beer, free copy of the preview magazine when you turn up as well. Uh, it's going to be a great night. We've got some great competition giveaways, some great prizes as well for you. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, we've, got, we've done we've got some signed hats this week that we're going to be giving away via our Twitter, at Gridiron. Uh, there is a signed Delaney Walker Super Bowl 51 hat. Yep. There's a signed Hall of Fame hat. This one's ridiculous. It's signed Go by Andre Reid, mm-hmm. Jack Youngblood, yeah. Michael Irving, yeah. and there was one more. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who it was. Who else signed it? Hot damn. Oh, and Mike Haynes. How could I forget oh. Mike Haynes? He's one of our very favorite people. Four Hall of Famers all signed on one Super Bowl cap. Uh, and you can win, you'll be able to win those via at Gridiron on Twitter in the not too distant future. Only well. one of those Hall of Famers. No, two of them were wearing their gold jackets when they signed it, though. Um, no, three of them. Was it three? Yeah, I think it was all of them except Jack Youngblood. Jack Youngblood, who uh, Irvin didn't. I asked him. Oh, was Irvin not wearing his? Okay, no, no. two. I apologise. It was two. If you were a Hall of Famer, would you constantly wear your gold jacket like at all times? Well, we asked Warren Moon this, and he we were who? like, Warren, do you wear your gold jacket down to the shops? And uh, did you speak to Warren Moon? <laughs> uh, no, this is when we had him over the phone. We're speaking to Warren Moon today, Ollie Hunter. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, this is for the extra bonus pod. So yeah, this is well, to explain all of the various. You guys are so lucky. What's happening today? Later today, we're uh, going to the Lee Steinberg party. You heard Lee on the show. Uh, earlier in the week and we've been speaking with his rookies we're going to bring you interviews with the likes of Patrick Mahomes and, and Mahomes. Jamal Williams some Mahomes. Mahomes Mahomes the second um, we're going to be talking to uh, all of that's what he is that's pretty good we, I see Mahomes the second instead of Mahomes Jr and I like that was Mahomes the first not available for interview was he, was <laughs> yes <laughs> Papa Mahomes was not available um, if you're going to add a, the something to the end of your name what would you add um, I want it to be something reasonably unique like so like, you know how Tottenham Hotspur or Aston Villa have a unique bit of their surname. I don't want a United. I want no, no, like, no. A like a Mahomes the second. So you'd be Gavin the Great. Well, Gavin the Eighth. <laughs> Gavin the Conqueror. I think you should be Gavin the Eighth. Yeah, because I look like Henry the Eighth. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> where I was going with that one. <laughs> Never heard that one before. <laughs> so we're going to the Lee Steinberg pipe. So 
We're going to the Lee Steinberg party this afternoon, and at the Lee Steinberg party there is a, a cavalcade of great guests who are going to be made available to us because they're handing out humanitarian awards. And this is, I'll just give you the list. We might not get to speak to all of these people, but if we get to speak to even a couple of them, pretty incredible. Start off with Hall of Fame running back Earl Campbell, oh. Rick Smith, the GM of the uh, Houston Texans, Warren Moon. Who? Excellent. Clark Hunt the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs and head of the International Committee. Steve Smith Sr., recently retired, now member of the NFL Network and BA himself, Coach Bruce Arians. So this promised to be quite a special afternoon, so we figured we'd come in and record the podcast this morning, get this one out there, and then we'll have that stuff for you all next week after the Super Bowl. But there's a reason we didn't record last night. <laughs> because we decided that having done all our work and, and spoken to various American radio stations who seemed to want the token Brits on. But they loved it when we were on. Oh, man, they loved it. Um, we, uh, we went out, except we didn't all go out together in the end. We all left together, and we went to the Hilton, and we had a beer. And a very pricey beer. Nat Coombs is definitely... Really was, wasn't it? I accidentally left a $10 tip. <laughs> <laughs> it's a doubly pricey for you. It was probably about 10% of the beer, in fairness. <laughs> it, it was... It was a twenty-six euro, uh, twenty-six, twenty-six dollar bill. I left a twelve-dollar tip <laughs> by accident. That's that's a matchery level of tipping. All the money looks the same. <laughs> um, yeah, brilliant. So we went over to the Hilton and we met up with Nat, who I think you said it pretty well. If any man is going to drink a Miller Light, it's probably Nat Coombs. Him, him and Phil Spooner, Phil the producer Spooner, looked like the two sharpest men in that. But they did look a little bit like an, an 80s boy band really reunited. Did, yeah. Maybe early 90s. Let's not date them too much. But Greg Rosenthal had a Stella. I always find that Americans like having the Belgian beers. Well, he's not really a big beer drinker, he was no. saying. He had a red wine later in the evening. Oh, he had he? a cocktail. He was really mixing it up. He must have been bat-finked. Uh, he, he, did have, he did have the red wine teeth on the go, oh. which is always a sign of... Uh, a sign you've gone too far. Um, so, yeah, we all went out for a beer together. It was the us guys here. It was Greg and Nat and Phil Spooner uh, and John Jackson. And then we went and got two Ubers. And then the nights went very differently from that point <laughs> onwards. Why don't you tell us what happened to you guys, Ollie? We should point out about Ubers that we were... We, we, Ollie wasn't aware that you, could, uh, you got rated as well as the drivers. <laughs> <laughs> somehow I've got the highest rating of the group. Not somehow. It's because you're an affable human being who yeah. chats to everyone. But now, but now he knows this. He's even more desperate to get his rating <laughs> sky high. But it's, it's ruined it. What it's done is he's now aware of it. And it's, you've gone too far. Just tell us some of the things that you said to cab, dri <laughs> cab drivers last night. I don't remember. This, no, we all remember. And if you don't tell us, we're going to. So we got into a conversation about burgers. And <laughs> the, the cab driver started comparing burgers to, to cars. And he was like, well, Whataburger is the Jaguar or the Range Rover of the burgers. No, he didn't. He said Whataburger was the Vauxhall. Oh, burgers. yeah, sorry. What was the other one? The Vauxhall Corsa. He said Chick-fil-A was Chick -fil -A. the... He didn't say Jaguar. He was like Jacaro or something. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was, John, like, what is Jacaro? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we had an argument. He didn't know what a Five Guys was. He started, He actually got really angry with me. thought I was taking the piss out of Your him. rating was on it was thin on ice at that really point, wasn't it? really thin ice. And then, and then, for some reason, I just asked him, all right, so... That's the Chick-fil-A is the Jaguar. The Whataburger is the is the Vauxhall, which which was what he said. 
So what's the Ferrari of the burgers? Um, <laughs> what is the Ferrari of the burgers? So you've now got to ask at least one Hall of Famer today, what's the Ferrari of burgers? Oh, mate. That's the new rule. You also, when not on your rating, but on Liam Blackburn's rating, managed to... I'm, up, I'm absolutely livid about this. I mean, I'm keeping it together, but there's, there's a lot of rage pent up inside. I don't remember what happened. How much did your rating go down, thanks to Ollie, uh, this 0. incident? 0.9%. <laughs> Uh, because not, not even point nine, point nine. So from, so from yeah. four point. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Sorry, you've got into the threes. No, I'm still on the fours. Oh, okay. But I was. I was what, what was I? Point oh nine, I guess. Yeah, it must be point oh nine. Which means she would have given me a one or something. Yeah, she had to give two. you a one, but there was a good reason she gave you a one because Ollie, I think you intimated that her daughter would get one. <laughs> get plenty. Yeah, I was going to say several. <laughs> <laughs> I said that because she'd clean up in London. She basically she was her her daughter wants to go to London. Her eighteen uh, year old her eighteen year old daughter wants to go to London, and Ollie was like, "Oh, that's great. She'll get plenty of action." <laughs> 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 You're a disgrace. You're a disgrace. Yeah. Where did you guys go out? Um, we went to a chip van. <laughs> As recommended by Phil Spooner. Yeah, classy guy. An- another comedic moment in the bar. Do you, do you want to explain that one? So, so it, there was quite a cute barmaid. Uh, and I made the grave mistake of telling John Jackson, who proceeded to beckon her over and said, oh, my mate wants to talk to you. And I was like, oh, no, what do I say? And she dropped that she was from Liverpool before. And I said, uh, uh, Liverpool or Everton? And she said, oh, well, um, you know, I don't really, I don't really care. It was quite expletive laden what she said. Yeah, she, she made it clear she didn't care. <laughs> yeah, uh, my, my family are both sides. And I went, oh, I've got to, what else do I say? Uh, I'll make it easy for you, red or blue. And she just looked at me and then walked away. <laughs> she didn't which, even say anything. To which John Jackson said... <laughs> You're not Morpheus, mate. <laughs> oh, good stuff. So that's you ended up at the place we were meant to go to. Our taxi driver decided Having that... leaving it from the same place at around the same time. Basically the same time. He'd stay in entirely the wrong lane, get really angry at the traffic, turn back towards the convention centre, like, if we go back through town, we'll be fine, instead of carrying on. Got us in even worse, worse traffic. 25 minutes into this cab journey, we were closer to the bar we'd started in than the place that we got picked up by the Uber. So we decided that we were just going to cancel it. We figured you'd well, be Nat, having the, Nat the same me. problem. Nat called me, put me on speakerphone, and I said, you've gone the wrong way. Your, your Uber driver's rubbish. To that <laughs> I, think you actually said why, why you I think you actually said your Uber driver's... <laughs> I think I did. Why actually. are you so determined to scupper everyone else's Uber ratings? <laughs> <laughs> so we we got out and we figured you'd have the same problem. So we we tried to call you and ended up you were already at the place that we were meant to be going to. So we decided to go to a barbecue place that we'd been recommended by um, just somebody in the convention centre here. It was the it was the barman, wasn't it, at the mm-hmm. place where we pick up the happy yeah. hour beers? And um, yeah, so we went there and ended up it was a private function. There's nothing else anywhere near it. So. Nat, in true, confident, I'm a presenter style, just went, let's go in. We walked round to the side, there was a side entrance, he just strode in like he was meant to be there, sat down at a table, and got chatting to some 80-year-old Glaswegian man who ended up at fought in the Congo War. Did you know America went into <laughs> Congo during the 60s, but sometime between Korea and Vietnam? They just uh, loved wars at that point, yeah, didn't they? <laughs> absolutely. Some say they still do. So, <laughs> And they will, will continue loving wars for the next four years. Hashtag political. Um, Deep. So, yeah, we, we ended up in there drinking, and then I got dared into... 
we were drinking free beer. On uh, we should probably plug Hyundai. There you go. That's paid for our night. That's a little bit of sponsorship for them. Uh, we did get night. we did get we did get one guy come up to me. I was at the slider counter picking up a couple of burgers, and uh, no surprise there. <laughs> and he he walked up he walked up and he was one of clearly the organisers were clearly wearing like not quite a uniform but they were all white shirts, grey jackets like they had a a certain look to them. And he went, no no, you go first, sir. I said thank you. And so I took a couple and then I walked past me and oh, so you're stealing my food now as well or something like that so they were clearly aware we weren't meant to be <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they just said I think but the thing is so it ends up the guy that we were talking to the Glaswegian he was a corporate lawyer and he'd, he'd been he'd moved to the States when he was younger but his daughter was like the international head of PR for Hyundai that's why he was there so it was that two stops away from the person who basically organised the entire party who definitely knew we weren't meant to be there but what it appears to have been is that she was quite glad that we were chatting to her dad so she just let us get on with it you guys are fine keep <laughs> yeah. my dad entertained <laughs> exactly we're, we're the sliders the Hyundai of burgers they, they were <laughs> very nice <laughs> they were they were pretty close to the Hyundai of burgers they were the biscuits apparently Greg Rosenthal claims to be a biscuit connoisseur and they were good biscuits but I really don't get the biscuit and gravy obsession oh yeah I the thing is biscuits on their own so biscuits with like as part of a slider with a burger yeah. so dry too dry and then there was a country country western star guy called brett young who was performing oh my god nobody was paying any attention they were all chatting throughout and yet all three songs we were there for he did like a five six minute long intro for them like whilst his backing guitarist played like a little picky tune oh, and he no. did it long and it's like well, this is a song about a time when uh, a six-year relationship ended and I thought things were going wrong and I, uh, well, I was ring shopping. And the way she broke it off with me Jesus. is when she found out I was ring shopping, she went, you probably don't want to do that. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But Nat basically convinced me that what would be hilarious, and he bet me 20 bucks that I would do it, was that I go up and pretend that I'm his biggest fan, come over from Europe, had no idea that he was going to be there, went and got like I a mean, really... this guy's clearly been through a lot of misery went, already, went, and you're like mocking <laughs> him. And... Went and got a really awkward selfie with him. And the bet kept getting extra bits added onto it. The hug had to be an air hug, where so you don't quite put your arm around them. You just do it like that. And then I had to stare into it, like at his face while he was staring at the camera. In fact, I've got the photos now. I can so this, show you. This guy's gone through six years of, heart, of heartbreak. <laughs> and then well, no, it sounds like it was five or so years of happiness followed from by... Fear the reveling in his misery? Brett Young, who peaked at 47 in the US chart. <laughs> Let's have a look. Oh, dear. <laughs> Uh, oh, and then we went, went to a couple of other bars and had a couple of other drinks and then you lot were cold and wanted to go home. So that's what we did. It was Have a good night. Seen, by the way, Sunderland are winning 4-0 at halftime. You're kidding me. Against Palace, yeah. If you want to know exactly what time we were doing this podcast, <laughs> that's the time it is. Ireland have just scored a converted try. Oh, Scotland are going to lose. Yeah, they're really they're going to Scotland it. They're going to fully Scotland it. Right, should we talk about some football? Or we should? I don't think we plug in the football guests. I think tomorrow morning we're going to do a show where we really break down the X's and O's of the game. I always like to ask Liam, Liam, because you've not been on Radio Row as much. You've been off doing the press and yeah, stuff. Yeah, wh- why do you keep saying it's busy? There's no one here. <laughs> Good. We, um, what, have you, what did you do over the last couple of days before we last spoke with you? Have you been off at the... Media availability with the teams. Is there any? Um, yesterday, I spent a lot of nuggets. time in the um, media workroom. It's like which is like Vegas because the lights are so bright, so you've got no <laughs> idea what time it is. <laughs> it's just the most depressing, soulless place ever. Well, it's got no windows either. Has no, it? exactly. But they have Diet Mountain Dew, so I like it in there. I've not been there. Well, you really aren't missing it. Well. It's huge. It's so big compared is it as big to as last this year. It's, it's not far off. 
Um, and then the day before I went to the Patriots, uh, which was up opposite a shopping centre where Josh and John spent most of the afternoon and buying cheap of dollars by the sounds <laughs> yeah. of it. Not really that cheap either. They were like, oh, it's like one pound cheaper than back home. Yeah, they said, oh, I've got four Vans t-shirts for $50. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's not great value. Um, so, yeah, the um, we had a bit of chat with... Um, Devin McCourty and a few other guys. Um, I mean, it's, it's just business for them Patriots, isn't it? They're just so used to it. There's nothing that surprises them about anything. You hear a couple of the Falcons players saying that, you know, they were staggered by this week and the fact that they have to do media every day and the Patriots, you know, they just roll into it. They know exactly what to say. Um, and it's just it's just a business trip for them. Mm-hmm. I was staggered yesterday when I was doing, doing a bit of research to know that Brady's been to more Super Bowls than Atlanta's entire active roster. Um, he's been to six and Atlanta have only been for five combined their active roster currently bloody hell can you name their five Super Bowl appearances can I name what do you mean the t- so Atlanta's entire roster yeah, between yeah. them has previously oh. been to five five Super Bowls uh, hold on let me can I I'm allowed the depth chart up I don't just have to do it completely off the cuff right okay that's I mean just to be fair no well you should you should be able to get one one fairly high profile player has obviously been to a couple now I feel like I should definitely know it. One fairly uh, high-profile high player, player has definitely been to a couple. Matt Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> Is he one of them? He's four of the five, no, no. Okay. Uh, I genuinely... Just looking at it now. Is it Matt Bryant? <laughs> no, I guess that, just because he's so old. that like, I wondered if he'd been to like Super Bowl two, but no, he hasn't. No, he's only ever played for Atlanta, hasn't he? Jake Matthews. No, I'm gonna have to get this up. It just yeah, exactly. This is this is absolute radio gold. This is terrible radio. Okay, I've got the I've got the link up. Um, just tell us. Okay, Dwight Freeney's been to two. Oh, of oh, course, Freeney's. Uh, Philip. Why is he not? Oh, he's. Uh, I tell you why I didn't read him. He's in red. It's because I've got next season's step chart. So because he's a free agency. Didn't Philip Wheeler. Philip Wheeler's been to a Super Bowl. That's quite depressing, isn't it? Uh, Deshaun Goldson. With the 49ers, yeah, that's really bad, I didn't know that. And Courtney Upshaw, who would have been with the Ravens, I guess. There you go. So there you go. Not a lot of experience. That's the point we're making. Right, we talked about some football, let's put some guests on, shall we? Yeah. Uh, coming up, we're going to hear from Ron Jaworski, which was great fun. Could have been. No, I've had some great interviews that I've loved. I think he but might have been guest of the week. He's, he's right up there. He was unbelievable uh, we spoke to Ron Jaworski obviously the former Eagles quarterback he joined us to talk about the Philadelphia draft and we, we asked him one question about that at the end we asked, this is really good fun because we talked to him about the other, super, the other rookie quarterbacks around the league this year got his take on them uh, Nat Coombs was in on this interview as well we also spoke with Lindsay Rhodes from NFL Network we've interviewed a lot of people from the network this week and she there's was been lovely some good lines from it Lindsay Rhodes was absolutely lovely yeah. and after I spoke to her, tweeted out a photo saying about how she was my new favourite member of Around the NFL. Meant to be just a little dig at Greg, a little joke. And she not only quote tweeted it, but then copied in every member of Around the NFL who obviously actually follow her going, take that suckers or something like that. So, uh, yeah, Greg then texted me saying, I think, I think our relationship could never recover from this. So I think I've broken everything Greg FaceTimed me by accident. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> he FaceTimed you by accident. We said they go, Greg. Greg, he was walking through the fan part. But he was obviously he was clearly in a rush. Cause he, was like, <sighs> he was holding his phone, so occasionally you got a picture of his his face from down by his knees. It was really funny. And when we finally got his attention, we go, Greg, 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 he looked at the phone and just went, and then hung up. <laughs> there was no like, 
<laughs> Why, what's going on here? He just. Heard By the way, for, for, for those of up. you listening, which is all of you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just flip the bird. There you go. There was yeah. that. The, the, the thingy equivalent of that. Yeah. Uh, you done it again. <laughs> <laughs> no one could see this. I thought about this yesterday while I was looking at the soundboard. The person who's had the biggest crowd this week, other than JJ Watt, which was absolutely insane for, uh, was easy Larry Fitzgerald. Oh. Larry Fitzgerald was here. We couldn't get him an interview with him. He was far too busy. But the was crowd for him over bit. in that corner was absolutely insane. And I realised we could just use this for him now. Ho, 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 I mean, he is magic. He's coming to London. Oh, he's there decided we, to there stay we in go. the league. Fitzmagic's over. Yeah. It's I think it's been over for a while, mate. <laughs> <laughs> he, he looked great as well, didn't he? He did. Oh, my God. He's a superstar. Um, so we talked to Lindsay Rhodes. And we spoke with... I'm really excited. Then and we, we didn't even talk to him. And we spoke with London's Jay Ajayi. Uh, London-born. Yeah, London-born Jay Ajayi, who I think he's not a guy, he's quite a laconic... His accent's bloke. getting more British. It does feel like that, doesn't <laughs> it? was it? getting more British as it was going through the interview. And I said, I said this to it's him afterwards. when he said apples and pears. I was like, where have you got that from? Yeah. <laughs> I said this to him afterwards. He says, yeah, I pick things up really easily. <laughs> so all three of those interviews are coming up. And let's start off with former quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, now part of the team that put together the excellent ESPN programming. What's it called? Uh, NFL Matchup, the film-based programming? I've completely forgotten. Matt Sherry, to Greg Cassell, claimed it's his favourite NFL program. We can't get it in our country. It's not like uh, him to... <laughs> 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 That's amazing. You're a disgrace. Like a, that's the kind of thing I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, this is the, the great Ron Jaworski. So, Jaws, being here at Radio Row, I mean, it, it, it's kind of almost rock star status for you, right? We, you, trying to get you to sit down and chat to us. Wait, wait, don't elevate me there. Best high intentions, now. best <laughs> intentions, and yet people are getting you to sign all kinds of things by, by the sound of it. Yeah, some guy needed his back scratch, so he said sign the back of his jersey, so I did that. You know, yeah, you got to do what you got to do to keep <laughs> yeah. people happy. It's, but it, it's very cool being with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure, and I'm really keen to talk to you about the transition from playing to broadcasting, because you're somebody that the fans in the UK uh, know very well from the latter. A certain generation know you from, from the former in your playing career. Yep. How did you find that transition? Because there's a precedent in the UK with footballers uh, migrating into broadcasting. Was it something you always thought about doing or was it something that dwelt on your mind as you started to come towards the end of your career? No, it, it wasn't something that I thought of as a player that, hey, when this ends, I'm going to go into broadcasting. You know, mm. I was an NFL quarterback for 17 years. Mm. And I loved every second of it. I still wish I could play, you know, mm. but Father Time did catch up to me. <laughs> so the transition period from 1989 when I retired mm. into 1990 when I started my second career in broadcasting, I was hired by NFL Films and ESPN. Mm. And I still work for both of those companies right now, 27 mm. years later. And literally the transition from a player to a broadcaster really mandated you do the same thing. Mm. Work hard. It's fierce competition no matter what you're doing. If it's football, if it's broadcasting, television, radio, everybody wants your job. Mm. So you better work hard at it. And, and I kind of carved my niche as a broadcaster the same way I did as a football player, X's and O's. Mm. I didn't want to talk a lot about the superfluous stuff that everyone wants to talk about, uh, like what I had for breakfast this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a way I like to the talk mic X's level. and O's, you know, and That's drill down. You know, but I like to have fun as well. <laughs> That's what we like to have, uh, focus on on this show, superfluous stuff usually. Right. <laughs> so, this, this exception I, I can to handle that now. I, I, a bit I, of that too. <laughs> I guess being a quarterback then, that, that made that transition a little bit easier because there are certain positions where you've got to study film, you've got to put the work in if you want to succeed. So that, I guess, gave you an advantage on other players that might become natural broadcasters but uh, were playing a different position where it didn't require the same 
uh, football intellect. And, and presentation is very important. You know, I, 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 hey, you play for 17 years. You play for some of the greatest coaches in history. When you talk about Dick Vermeil, Don Shula, Chuck Knox, Buddy Ryan, coaches that won almost 1,000 games in the NFL. Wow. I learn from the very best football. But how do you make that transition to be on the air, to put makeup on? Mm. You know, I'd see guys that I play with, I'd be on the field and go, hey, Joss, you got makeup on. Well, you know, <laughs> That's I'm how it works. Yeah, 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 yeah. They want me to look pretty. I know that might be hard, but, yeah. you know, but it, it, it is a transition. And then, you know, as I elevated my career and became, you know, the voice of Monday Night Football mm. as a Monday Night Football analyst with Mike Tirico and John Gruden, it, it, it becomes a different animal because you're putting in 95 to 100 hours a week mm. and people say oh, i know you know i said no i was working 14 hours a day mm. in my preparation in travel you get to the host of the monday night game you get in on friday you're in production meetings you go to the home team's practice you talk to eight or ten players you know you get time to eat maybe somewhere in if between you're lucky all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. then sunday the visiting team comes and you spend the day with them all of a sudden monday morning you're at a seven o'clock production meeting mm. and the game doesn't come on until eight thirty. Mm. so you're putting a lot of hours in and it all starts up again on Tuesday. So It's not rocking up for three hours doing the game. Oh, no, it's, not, it's just not think. showing up mm. and, and shooting the breeze about mm. the game. You have to prepare. You know, when you got 20 million people watching you, you better put the time in. What about technology and the way that that, that has changed things, both for, for players, of course, and broadcasters, because the generation that you were playing was, was pre-internet, pre-social media. Um, the glare of that makes it very difficult to be to be a player these days, doesn't it? No, no question. And and, and you know, everywhere you go now, I, you know, I, I did a lot of stupid things in my life, but they never caught on camera. You know, <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness. You know, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, hoping. <laughs> well, no, this, they didn't have cameras. <laughs> so you know, I think of these guys now. Everywhere they go, there's a camera, a phone. There's mm. there's something on these guys. So technology has changed the way players have to live their lives. Right. Uh, but also, the technology I think has made the game. Better. And I'll, I'll use this example. As I sit here with you guys and see all these fantastic computers that, that you all have, there was a time when I started my broadcast career, I didn't have access to yeah. any of this stuff. It would be watching film, then watching tape as it was digitized and, and, and doing those sorts of yeah. things. Now, what I have on my laptop computer is basically what I had in my office at NFL Films. Mm. So I could be on an airplane and watching game yeah. tape. You know, I could be sitting at the dinner table watching game yeah. tape. And I could be sitting here with you and pull my laptop out and watch game tape. Yeah. So it has helped me be more prepared to do my job because of the accessibility I have to technology. The NFL in the UK is on the up and up. Uh, and the international series, that's an instrumental part of that, of course. Uh, bringing the A game to the fans, that's a big difference from back in the day when it was uh, the American Bowl. And, and when I played in that American Bowl that, in 1988, I was with the, the Miami Dolphins against the San Francisco 49ers. I remember it well. It was an incredible experience at Wembley Stadium, the experience of being in London. Yeah. At that time, you know, we were still teaching the game, per oh, se, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but the experience was one I'll never forget. And the fans were absolutely incredible. And that was, I mean, that was all we got then. It was fantastic, but it was an exhibition game. Pre-season game. You know, and you were right. I call them exhibition. The league gets mad at me. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I'm allowed to get away with that. These days, we're seeing the the, uh, the A game and games that matter, and yeah, it's absolutely. only on the up and up as well. Are you surprised about how the NFL has so far seemingly succeeded with an international expansion, a game that uh, it, 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 on paper is very alien to, say, British, the average British sports fan, but the fan base is growing and growing and growing? Well, you know, the world has shrunk. Yes, and, and it really has, and, and and people now through technology, you know, you can watch, you know, not only football, you can watch soccer, you watch rugby in, in Australia, or you know, soccer in mm. London or Manchester, or mm. whatever, whatever, wherever the game may be played. So I think 
you know, the world has shrunk and people now are seeing football. You know, I'm part of the CAFL, which is China yeah. Arena Football League. Wow. We have six teams playing arena football in China. I've been in Beijing. I've watched these games. The people love it. Yeah. They love football. And I know the people in the U.K. love football. So the game is growing you know, not only internationally, but worldwide. It's mm. become a worldwide game. Mm. And I think on that very fascinating point, shows like yours and, and podcasts and the Game Pass, all these different ways. I mean, the All-22 film, I know a lot of people who watch that instead of watching the condensed versions or something because mm. they want to learn the minutiae of the game mm. and they want to absorb as much information uh, as possible. I did want to ask you while we're talking X's and O's about a former team of yours and the performance of, uh, the performance of a quarterback uh, with them this year, Carson Wentz with the Eagles. As a guy who watches the X's and O's, what did you see from him this year that impressed you, that made you think he's, he's ready to be that guy? Well, he will be the guy. In fact, uh, Carson Wentz is about 40 feet from us right now. I just had a chance to spend a, a little time with him as he's, he's working Radio Row. Uh, I actually went to Fargo, North Dakota, uh, last April for his pro day workout. Mm. Uh, and he was phenomenal. This is after I've studied all his tape and I've watched you know, his college games. But there's nothing like seeing a guy live. And I said this after watching his workout. This guy changes the weather. And people look at me like, you know, like I got four eyes and maybe I do. <laughs> uh, but but, but he, you know, he comes in uh, to their arena. It's their pro day. So there's other players there. All the other guys are doing a workout. When he walked in, in on that field, there was a certain aura about him, mm. a certain respect from his coaches, his head coach, his teammates, the fans that were in the stands watching the Pro Day workout. There was just something special about the guy. And he put on a workout that was unbelievable. In fact, I stood probably 10 feet from his workout with Hugh Jackson, now the coach at Cleveland Browns. And when the workout was over, Hugh looked at me and said, he goes, that's one of the best workouts I've ever seen. Wow. Well, lo and behold, I don't know why the Browns didn't draft him. They <laughs> traded out of that position. But, yeah. you know, when and a head coach in the NFL and a, and a guy I respect very much like Hugh Jackson said that, and I thought the same thing. I thought his workout was great. Mm. So I was thrilled when the Eagles were able to get in that position to get Carson Wentz and get a guy that is the building block of the future. Now, hey, he's not arrived. In fact, you never arrive in this business. You know, you if you think you've arrived, you're going to start getting knocked down a yeah. peg. But he showed the aptitude that you have to play the game with, not only physically but mentally. He's a tough, competitive guy. He can will victory. He's kind of a special guy. Mm. Now, the Eagles have to put more players around him. The quarterback position is a dependent position. You depend on other people. So when he gets some wide receivers and other players around him, it'll be very exciting in Philadelphia. And I think that really told this year with the fact that it almost felt like the single loss of a player like Lane Johnson seemed to completely affect that offense and what they were doing. When he was in there, they were 6-0, and and they were looking great. And suddenly, he had that little less protection and... It all became a well, lot more difficult a for there, him. There's a trickle-down effect. You lose mm. Lane Johnson to a PD suspension. It ruined the season. This mm. is an all-pro right tackle. Now you're moving your left guard to right tackle. You're interchangeable parts. All of a sudden you get an injury to the right guard, and you know Brandon Brooks is out, and all of a sudden two guys are out. Then three guys are out, and you mix the positions, and the performance begins to decline. So clearly, it, it, and I do this every year, when the playoffs teams are announced, the 12 teams in, I look at their offensive line, mm. and it's amazing how each and every year we're always to talk about the quarterback and the wide receivers and Julio Jones and all these playmaking guys. It's amazing when I study those 12 teams that make the playoffs, 
They had a solid offensive line. Mm-hmm. They were healthy all season. They played together. Those are the things that ultimately are so important. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get focused on the wrong areas. Mm-hmm. But, of course, we all love the quarterback. You know that. <laughs> but if you drill down, watch the offensive line yeah. play. And that hurt the Eagles this year, Will. Absolutely. I think it's, about the, it's the quarterback who, it's former quarterbacks that really appreciate their offensive lines because those are the guys that kept them upright and kept them safe. I wanted to ask you, as a former L.A. Ram, uh, about Jared Goff, a current L.A. Ram. I was there for his first game against my, the Miami Dolphins in the Coliseum. Uh, it just rained. It was a horrible day. He didn't have the best of games. But I thought, even then, in his first game, that there was so, there's still something there. Obviously, he's not done at all. He's, he's only had half a season, but he can come back from a, a, a disappointing first season. Yeah? And, and you're, you're absolutely right. I think, I think Jared Goff has a lot of talent. I, I had him behind Carson Wentz. I, I had Wentz one, I had Goff two, I had Lynch three, and I had mm. Dak Prescott four mm. as I evaluated the quarterbacks, projecting them to the NFL. What Dak Prescott did is just phenomenal what he did this year. But, but back to Goff. I think the Rams made an absolutely atrocious mistake. Not in drafting him. I'm okay with drafting him, but how they brought him along. Mm. And when you draft a quarterback with the number one pick in the draft, it's incumbent upon you to get that quarterback ready. From day one, when he walks off that podium with his L.A. Rams hat on, you put a plan in place to get this guy ready to play. And if you got Chris Winkie as your quarterback guru working, you get him ready to play. Your sole focus as an organization is to get him ready. They bombed. They blew it. They didn't get him ready, and they're paying a steep price for that. So I blame you know, Jeff Fisher, his coaching staff, and the Rams organization for doing a horrible job of mismanaging Jared Goff when, after they drafted him. I'll tell you what I did see kind of down the stretch, which maybe made me think there's something to be positive about here. And I, I like, this is a question, obviously, to ask of a former quarterback is that he got hit a lot this year. The protection wasn't there, and it, it got it got brutal at times, to be quite honest. But what I did see is that when he was taking that damage in the pocket, when he was bouncing back up, he didn't see ghosts. He kept his eyes downfield. He was always looking for the receivers, trying to step up. And I know that might be a minor thing, but confidence seems to be so much about the quarterback position. It's, it's huge. I, I, I use the term looking down the gun barrel. If you're going to get hit... Hey, I'm telling you, you're going to get hit. I'm 17 years. I get hit a lot. And, and you, you know when you release that ball, you're going to get hit more than likely. And you've got to be able to hang in there and deliver the football and hold on to the last possible second. And, and, and Goff did show some of those abilities. Now, his supporting cast has to be better. He has to be coached better. And all those things come into play. As I said, you know, we're talking about Wentz. It's a dependent position. Mm. You depend on other people doing their job so you can do yours. The Rams must do a better job of getting people around him. But I'm going to say it starts with Jared Goff, mm. his commitment in the offseason. If I'm Jared Goff, I'm picking up the phone, I'm calling Tom Brady in two weeks. Because Tom is the epitome of hard work. Mm. People see Tom Brady on Sunday. Mm. You know, oh, there's Tom. What a great quarterback. Tom busts his butt every single day. Up, up in New England, they have a parking spot for the player. Not a quarterback, not a wide, for a player that spends the most time working out in the offseason. Mm. You know who has that spot every year? <laughs> Tom Brady. He lives in that facility. He's studying tape. He's working at, he's working at his profession, mm. dedicating himself to being the very best. He doesn't show up on Sunday and say, hey, I'm Tom Brady. I'm going to whip your butt. He prepares. And every quarterback should learn from a guy like Tom Brady, from the Peyton Mannings, the guys that put the effort and the energy in. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. In fact, I'm always honest. <laughs> Try to be anyway. <laughs> 
Everyone says their quarterback works the hardest. That's a bunch of BS. Mm. I've been to training camps. I've been to teams' practices. I know what people say truthfully. Yeah. I know coaches. I know athletic trainers. I know people in the building. They're always going to tell you, oh, our guy's the hardest working guy on the team, in the league. That's BS. Mm. And, you, and a coach needs to identify that the quarterback he's going to bring in to be the face of his team is the guy that's committed to working out, getting in shape, and studying, and be a true leader of a football team. O.C. Humanura was on our show uh, a little bit earlier on, and uh, of course he uh, is somebody who knows Tom Brady very well given his Super Bowl oh, yeah. rings with the Giants. <laughs> O.C. doesn't think that Brady is the greatest of all time, and this is a question that it, it perennially rears its head around the Super Bowl time, particularly when Brady's in the Super Bowl. What which happens, is a lot. Which is quite a lot. What happens on Sunday could well affect the answer to that question, but I'm going to throw it to you. Do you think that Brady... He's certainly a contender for it. Do you think he is the greatest of all time? And if he doesn't, if he's not, who do you think is? Tom Brady has cemented his position as the greatest quarterback. Cemented. Cemented. With that win over Seattle, he got it. You know, he's won four Super Bowls. He's lost two. This is his seventh Super Bowl appearance. Mm. I mean... That is remarkable, guys. That doesn't happen by accident. It happens when you are the greatest. I guess O.C.'s argument was you put somebody else in that setup, uh, they would probably achieve a similar thing. I'm not disrespecting O.C. You know, no, hey, O.C. Sure. won a game against Tom Brady. Steve Spagnola designed a great game plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did a heck of a job yeah. with it. You know, they, they held the receivers early in the down. They forced Tom Brady to hold the football. Then here came O.C. and Justin and that pack oh, yeah. of guys and got after the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. But, hey, I'm not going to argue with O.C. He's entitled to his opinion. Yeah. But I think I'm right. <laughs> and, 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 and here's the thing, Josh. Yeah, what's, been, what's been a real treat is whilst we got into Brady, getting into Mexico's and talking about some stuff outside of the game this weekend because we had Greg Cassell on earlier this week and we yep. really got down into the nitty-gritty oh, NFL. You know, Greg and I have been, uh, been pretty much 10 feet away from each other in our office at NFL Film for the last 27 years. Wow. That's, that's so great. we see the game through the same eyes of watching the tape. And yeah, Greg's awesome. Yeah, yeah. NFL matchup is, is the best. And I asked him, I said, we're getting Jaws on later this week. What should we say to him? And he said, mention the 1980 Super Bowl. I said, Feels harsh, Greg. Feels a little bit mean. You know, why was Greg got to do that? We're tight, man. <laughs> We're like low brothers, blood. you know. Low blood. He tried to get me all fired up. You know. <laughs> hey, hey you know, uh, you know I, I hope you guys. You know, you know, the draft this year is in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. And end of April, we'd love to have you guys come to our city and see how we're going to do this in a big way. We've worked like over a year right now, or close to a year, to get this draft there. It's going to be spectacular. You want to see some passionate fans? Get your butt to Philly, man. <laughs> our, uh, our editor That's is on his way yeah. out there this year, and I'm desperately trying to you, find you a way. You got to come. I'll buy dinner. I'll buy dinner. Well. I'll right? get you a nice it's dinner. A deal. All right. I, I tell you, dinner for me costs a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> I know <laughs> people. Jules, <laughs> real pleasure. Thank you for joining right, thank us. Thank you, guys. Man. Awesome. Joining on Radio Row. There's an interesting situation here, Lindsay Rose from NFL Network, because. The original plan for this interview was that they wanted to bring you along at 12.15, and we were due to have Demarius Thomas at 12.15, and we thought, well, Lindsay will know Demarius, we'll have some fun with it, we'll get them both on at the same time, it'll be great. And then I get a message from Demarius' agent, about 20 minutes, Coach, going, yeah. No. Last night was a bit heavy. So oh, really? Maybe in a few hours. Last night was a bit heavy. That <laughs> so, sounds specific. We might have to do some investigative journalism, find exactly. out what that means. I just wanted to let you know, so that maybe, you know, if there's something you can leak onto a bit of NFL Network action, then, <laughs> I mean, I'm not suggesting they were out on a boat with you know Johnny Manziel and, and Justin Bieber or anyone. Tweeting out right now. Sources <laughs> tell me. <laughs> British sources tell you very specifically. <laughs> uh, how are you enjoying Houston and Super Bowl week so far? Oh, I'm having a blast. This is such a fun week. It's, it's like a high school reunion in a lot of ways because uh, – 
for those of us who work in sports uh, television or just, you know, sports in general, you are well aware of everybody who's working for all the different outlets and the newspapers and then the, obviously the players on the different teams. You don't get a chance to interact with them all that often. So this is the one week year that everyone is in the same place. And it feels like every five feet, you know, you bump into somebody that you either admire their work or, you know, from way back when or is a player that you've been dying to meet, but you've been talking about constantly on your show. <laughs> and so uh, I, I love it. I want to know who comes under that last bracket. Who have you met today? Today, from a player standpoint, yeah. Well, you just I said. haven't actually met anybody yet. I just got here, so oh, that's nice for some. Some of us have been here since eight this morning. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Putting in the hours—that's no, what we want to see. TV people rolling in <laughs> midday—that must be nice. Uh, of course, we're <laughs> kidding, but you know, it is a crazy week for you guys. I mean, it literally is your Super Bowl for the NFL Network. Mm-hmm. But I think what amazes people back in the UK is that there is an entire television channel dedicated to one sport and well you guys have that too don't you not no? really no we have well there's there's a there's sports television but not to one single sport how and do you not have anything dedicated to soccer well so i mean the the main sports television channel shows a lot of soccer but it's not all soccer it's uh, football i should probably say i'll get in trouble with yeah, the listeners now that. but yeah you know we, we you know when in rome <laughs> <laughs> sorry about uh, that. <laughs> um, but we still get the rugby, the cricket, the NFL is shown on the same station. Mm-hmm. So for when it's such a short season, you know, three, four, five months, I think it amazes people how you fill the rest of that time. And it feels now that the NFL That's, has yeah. been designed to be... 24-7-365 at this point. Since I started working for NFL Network, I think that's been the thing that has surprised me the most, that there really is no off-season. Like, we go, 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 go. Um, June, July, it kind of gets a little bit slow. So everyone take their holiday it. around the same time? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they try to avoid that. But yes, there's, there's just less going on right then, right before training camp kicks off. But you have, from here, you go to Combine, and then you have a lot of draft coverage with all of the pro days and then you actually have the draft and then it's rookie mini camps and then well I forgot about free agency I totally skipped over that so you have these big chunks of news making events and things that change the landscape of the NFL um, really front page news that happens all all season long so there really is something to talk about pretty consistently things that change the dynamics and stuff we get Game Pass uh, in the UK and we get the network on that. And I know there are a lot of people through Super Bowl week will be watching you and watching what you guys are doing all the way through the week. And certainly, I mean, I work the breakfast shift, get in, stick on NFL AM because it's two in the afternoon our mm-hmm. time and see what's going on. But I think a lot of UK fans will know you because of podcasting and from your appearances on Around the NFL. Uh, that's so funny. They have such a huge UK following. It's, it's hilarious great. So, to me. When Greg came over for the game, the Rams-Giants game this year, mm-hmm. uh, me and, and a few of the guys from, from our show and, and from our magazine that we do, we met up with him for a pint in town, managed to convince him that he had to tweet out that he was in town and, and meet people and then have an awkward hour of people coming up and taking photos with him. But he's a regular on the show. I don't show. think it was awkward. I think he loved it. You, do you think so? See, he felt so do, awkward in the, mor- in really? the moment. He doesn't strike me as a man who... Uh, well, he's a... A social butterfly. He's a relatively shy person. That I, I love Greg to pieces. But yeah, I didn't... I felt like we put him in a situation that maybe was... Dan is a little bit more the guy who would have owned the room in that yeah. environment. But 100%. yeah, yeah. But oh, those guys are so great. They're so they're so much fun. And it, it is funny. I've noticed... Uh, I tweeted something about a change in time for uh which game was it that changed times because of weather uh the 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 chiefs game yes so uh i tweeted that they were going to change the time and 
the the majority of the response that I got to that tweet was from the UK. Oh, cool. Saying, well, that, that's inconvenient for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I will be asleep. Interestingly, it was exactly the opposite for me because uh, I cover Spanish soccer on a weekend. And so I was going to miss that game because I was on air at the time. And then I got to watch both games and then just go to bed at 4 a.m. <laughs> that's absolutely fine. Well, good. They worked out for you. I'll, I'll tell uh, the commissioner. <laughs> yeah, there we go. In fact, if you could just have a word in his ear about not moving any of the other start times, that'd be brilliant. Because <laughs> okay. we much prefer the earlier start time. Then we can get to the pub afterwards, have a few beers, watch red zone like that's our ideal situation that's what we'd rather do i know you so you you watch a lot of red zone huh oh yeah that's the that is the the big thing this well, i was gonna say the 6 p.m you the 1 p.m and the 4 p.m games red zone there's places in london that will show it and hundreds of people will turn up and it's it's growing exponentially in the uk it's absolutely massive i do think that cba in three years time after that the potential for a team maybe two, three more years off after that. That's the kind do you, of noise So I'm hearing. interested, do you think that there is a, a big enough fan base there from your perspective? Do you think that I think it's getting there. It? Um, so, for the, so, for example, for the four games this year, now because of the scheduling quirks of having to do four games, they announced the games, but there was a thing of like, two games will be at Wembley and they'll be on weeks three and four, but we don't know which way around yet. And the same for the other two at, at Twickenham, the new stadium they've been using, and that's week seven and eight. So they've only been able to sell season tickets up to this point because... If you don't know what day the game's on, you can't buy an individual ticket. They sold uh, 45,000 season tickets for the four games. And then on top of that, the two games they've now announced the dates for at Wembley. They announced those. Those tickets went on sale this week and sold out in the day. Oh, that's great. So they'll sell out all four venues, 85,000 a time. And that includes a game involving the Cleveland Browns, which... (laughs) I like the Browns. I like Hugh Jackson, and I'm hoping hey. that they're going in the right direction. Yes. But to an international audience, it's not the sexiest right. team. It's not yeah. the Cowboys. You're not like, hey, it's we're bringing you the Patriots or the Cowboys or the Packers or somebody it, like that. Understood. Exactly, exactly. Um, I'm intrigued for you guys because this week is so much in the last... It's only my third Super Bowl, but so much in the last two. There were really big storylines that were carrying through the week, really obvious stuff, and obviously Deflategate being mm-hmm. one of them last time, but um, last time the Patriots were involved. But what for you guys has been outside of the fitness of players, outside of the game itself, has been your big talking points from this week? I think, uh, gosh, so much legacy talk, which is one of the reasons that just as from a storytelling standpoint, you're like, oh, great, it's the Patriots again, because nothing's <laughs> changed, really, right? You know, you're like, so are Tom Brady and Bill Belichick the best ever? Well, yeah, they were um, when we talked about this five years ago, pretty mm-hmm. much. So uh, in that sense, but but that inevitably becomes a driving um, point of conversation just about those two and how in the world they're able to do this so consistently when nobody else really is. You have these teams that jump onto the scene and they'll have like two good seasons and they look like they're world beaters and then for whatever reason they can't sustain it. And the Patriots have done that. 16 straight winning seasons, 20 winning seasons in 23 years that uh, Robert Kraft has owned the team. Like, what is that magic sauce that Bill Belichick has? Why is he playing chess when everybody else and, is playing checkers? And in the salary cap era, in the, yeah. I mean, we, we don't have uh, a draft system in UK sports, but in a system that's designed to help bad teams get better. That's theoretically the idea of it. Well, and he and yet throws you've got away really good players too every once in a while he's like yeah this isn't working for our locker room so I'm going to send you somewhere else and thank you very very good player on any other team you're the star but we don't really need you that much we'll just 
plug and play. Someone said to us earlier this week, in fact, he was talking to Tory Holt about the Atlanta offense and then versus this Patriots team. And he said it's not about the best 53. It's about the right 53. Right. And I think that's what the Patriots have done better than anyone else. And, and actually, it's why, I, uh, I don't know, Kind of, we've we've actually been surprisingly 50-50 on the game this week. I think maybe slightly more people are fancying the Patriots, but for me, I think. Oh, really? If you give Bill Belichick and if you give those coordinates, particularly Matt Patricia, who have done such a brilliant job of defensive scheming this year, I get that the Falcons have got the best offense in football, and I get that whether it's their route combination, whether they're using the running backs out of the backfield, whatever it is, there's, they always create a mismatch. But if somebody is going to figure it out, you think give Bill Belichick two weeks and he should be able to figure out anything. I, I agree. I. It's interesting that you say you're hearing a lot of Patriots uh, picks because I feel like everyone who's come through our set is picking the Falcons. Ah, I'm hearing so that kind of much feels, that Falcons. Maybe that's a bit like last year, though. Everyone was won over to the idea of the Panthers and kind of ignored yeah, well, that defense. New, and I do think that there's a, a component there of people wanting it to be someone new and just being excited about the fresh new team that it's like, oh, it's their time. And I don't know if that's exactly how these games work <laughs> so much. And you do look at the offense, and the offense is – it doesn't have any holes, you know. It's just it's so good. But then you look statistically at the history of the Super Bowl, and you know the last uh, seven, they're, they're the seventh, I think, top scoring offense mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl in since the turn of the century, and the previous six are one and five. So the the best defenses typically win this game, at least statistically speaking, and. Plus, when you don't have that much of a drop off from that scoring offense to the Patriots scoring offense. I don't know. I just I, I think I see the Patriots winning just because of the team component that you mentioned. They don't have a single All Pro player Ridiculous. on their offense or their defense, which is insane. That yeah. they do, they've done what they've done this season. They're just a machine, and it's just all of the pieces and how they work together. Hey, I'm a 49ers fan. I'm very excited about Kyle Shanahan. So it's that's I'm just happy to be out there to see that all in action. Um, tell me what your game day's like because I'm intrigued as to when you're doing TV. Exactly what you're going to be doing on game day, how that's going to be involved. On game day, um, I will head over to the stadium bright and early. I have a 6 a.m. call, and then Great. I. That's what, what we all want on a Sunday morning. Right when it's like a night game. <laughs> exactly. Sure. But but that's okay. It's a uh, I have. We'll be hosting um, the first two hours of game day morning. I'll be on like a side set with Willie McGinnis, and I think it's Terrell Davis that will be with me. And so I just have 8 to 10, and then I'm off for the rest of the day. So Amazing. I'll go to the game like a fan. Well, hopefully we'll get to bump that into you down in the press box. And, you I know, love that. Greg might be a weekly guest, but of all the people <laughs> who are around the NFL, uh, I think you might have become our favorite guest now. Oh, I'll, nice. I I'll like I'll let it. Greg and I'll let Dan both I'll know take that. it. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Lindsay Rose, thank you for coming down and joining us, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so joining us now on Radio Row, uh, superstar running back of the Miami Dolphins and as if you follow the NFL UK Twitter account, I'm sure you'll be aware by this point, London-born JHI. Are you aware, Jay, of just how much love you're getting over in the UK this season and right now? Yeah, I've been able to see uh, some of the things that are going on uh, for the UK supporting me and just the uh, people. I get all the mentions and notifications every day, so I, I get to feel all the love from the UK. Good. That's good news because certainly... We've never had a skill position player necessarily who's come out of the UK and the impact that you've had this season. I guess, first of all, congratulations on a, on a great 2016. Coming into the year when you saw Arian Foster coming into the team and we didn't really know where you, what your role was at that point. There was a lot of debate about it. Was there a point in the year where you realised that was your job and, and you were going to be the guy to take it on? 
Um, you know, I just think for me personally, I just had to wait for my opportunity. Um, I had to wait for... Uh, it's okay, I'll, I'll sort that out, don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, I had to wait uh, and just find out what, um, you know, I had to do. And I had to realise that all I had can control was myself, my mindset, my mentality. And when I did that, um, you know, I, I, I went to practice, I went to work every day, um, and I hit it hard. And once my opportunity came, it was just about seizing it and just being consistent after that. I guess with every place of work, there's a pecking order. Arian Foster had a lot of body of work from the Texans. He comes in, he got injured, you took your opportunity, and uh, you really ran, excuse the pun, you really ran with your opportunity as well. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, for me personally, um, you know, I was just, you know, wanting to be a competitor, and I'm a competitor. I believe I'm the ult one of the ultimate competitors, and, um, you know, once I was able to be on that field, it was like I was able to just have fun, play my game, and just go hard, and and that's uh, you know what what I was able to do. Was there actually a moment when Coach Case said to you like, "Go, do it, grab it," because it had been a bit split early on, and obviously we saw the injury to Arian, but it felt like before even before the injury, you'd started to grow into that stronger role. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we were kind of rotating backs here and there, and it was kind of. The Steelers game, uh, not that a week, week, not a bad performance. That week where we kind of decided, like, look, you know, we're gonna make it a priority. We want to run the ball, Jay, you know, try and get you this many touches, and let's see what happens. And we were able to have a good game, and it kind of helped propel us uh, moving forward. When, when you've come into the league, and a lot of people thought that you'd be drafted particularly high, and it was the injuries that seemed to knock you down it was the problems with your knee and there's maybe been some frustrations in that first season what's the feeling after you've run for 200 yards and a couple of scores in a national football league game um you know back to back mate oh, well, no, i was talking about the first one first of all we can get to the second one in a minute <laughs> yeah the first one was cool man it was a great feeling um you know to be able to do that you know i've always believed i had that ability and so to be able to do that we win the game it's a great feeling, you know, everyone's enjoying in that locker room, the, the line feels good about the performance, you know, coaches, everyone, it's a great, it's just amazing. How do you celebrate? Um, you know, you celebrate with the guys, you know, you celebrate with the people that you did it with. And uh, I think that, that that was the most important thing, you know, uh, we realized that, you know, we, we did something special. At the same time, though, it was a very short-lived celebration. Um, you know, we don't we didn't hang our hats on it. 200 yards was fun and then you know I guess like you said we did it again the next week so said 200 yards was fun is an understatement it feels <laughs> yeah. like yeah. you know it was cool we did it back to back weeks and it was cool like you know but uh, there's like an air of not ever feeling comfortable um, you know that I always try and, and live in in that space not ever being comfortable I think our own line felt the same way we were always trying to do more and so the 200s was cool. I mean, then you do it twice more in the season, both against a divisional rival and both against a divisional rival that supposedly are really good against the run. It's got to be a pretty special feeling. Yeah, it was amazing. The last one, I think, is the most, uh, like, my favorite one, that favorite game, because that clinched us the playoffs. And to be able to do it on, like, that game, like, when we needed the most. Um, was that against well, the Bills? 
against the Bills. Well, yeah. he busted out a 53-yarder to go yeah, 199, and uh, just, the next, I think it was the next, the next play or the next few plays, you, you managed to get that 200. Yeah. So, that, especially that run, the, the, you know, the jinking, the power as well, um, open field pace. I, you know, you, you seem to have it all. Yeah, I mean, I really, um, you know, I pride myself on, on feeling like I have a lot in my toolbox. Love moves um, and a, a great all-around skill set, and I really what it's been about is just sharpening all my tools. Now, um, you know, I just I want to be great at, at a, a lot of things, very versatile and very consistent, and that's what I strive to do. But then the frustration of getting to that postseason, the first for Miami in such a long time, and to lose that game, and, and to it felt like Pittsburgh came out that day and went, if there's one thing we're going to do in this game, it's stop JHI. Because beyond that, yeah, they, be, be, I know you had the replacement quarterback in there and he'd had a decent few games, but yeah, you felt like you were targeted a little bit and, and they were decided that, I don't care, eight, nine, ten men in the box, let's just stop Jay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree a, a little bit on that note that they made it a priority that, you know, we were not going to run the ball on them, you know. And, you know, it's not surprising that, that that's the case because if a team runs on you for 200 yards earlier that year, what do you think their defensive coaches are going to be telling them that whole week? <laughs> that can't happen again. You know, that is not going to happen again, especially in the playoffs, the most important time. So it, it, we, we knew that they were going to make sure it was tough on us to run the ball. Um, our thing is that we can't let that affect us and we still have to find ways to be productive and we weren't able to do that that day. We weren't able to get enough stops and it's that and that's that that makes us, the, and that's the learning part of the whole thing, you know, to propel us forward, motivate us. You know, we can't do that in the postseason, you'll get beat. We spoke to Ron Jaworski, a legendary quarterback for the Rams and he was the at the Eagles. Dolphins, Eagles. Uh, broadcaster as well we just spoke to him and, and we asked him about the offensive line and the offensive line is a quarterback's best friend I suppose it's quite it's often a running back's best friend apart from your fullback so uh, how good was your offensive line how much did they help you with the amount of runs uh, the amount of yards that you managed to make and a, a, a player that who I thought had a, a really really stellar year was Laramie Tunsil yeah, I mean, I, I was so proud of our O-line this year for those guys to come together. Um, you know, I think they, they made milestones of leaps this year. Um, you know, it kind of sucks for me because I, I really only saw, like, our starting offensive line for three games. Mm. And if you look at the stats of those three games, running-wise, it was 200, 200, and over 100 yards on the number one defense at the time. So, like, it was almost like I got spoiled a little bit with those guys <laughs> before, you know, injuries and other stuff kind of settled in. But um, for everyone that stepped in when they needed to, including LT, Laramie stepping up as a rookie, stepping in there, being able to do different things, learn the game quickly and just really just catch on fire this year. I think our O-line did a, a great job and, you know, I can I cannot be anything but uh, thankful for what they were able to do for me this year um, because I was able to make it to a Pro Bowl. I, I think particularly frustrating, you mentioned the O-line and it was completely agreement. When it was healthy, it looked absolutely stellar, but it just wasn't often enough. And it's frustrating when you get to work under a coach like Adam Gase who has some 
interesting, exciting, offensive scheming that he can pull out. And you see what someone like Kyle Shanahan's done with the Falcons this year when they've managed to have the same five offensive linemen start every single game, play every single snap. You feel like Miami could be a team that could make that kind of jump if they got healthy? No doubt. I have no doubt about it. I think we, we have set the groundwork for building that culture in Miami. Now we know what it takes to win. I think we've got the talent around, the pieces around. I think, yeah, we need to add a few more things here and there, but the culture is there. And with that, our offensive line healthy, um, you know, I think we can really uh, make a lot of noise this, this season and for seasons to come. And, and I guess that brings us on to the point of Ryan Tannehill, because what we saw Matt Moore manage to do over at least the last few regular season games brought into question for some people what Tannehill's role was, and he's been a guy who's shown flashes of brilliance, but also flashes that have frustrated Dolphins fans. From what you've seen of him, is he that guy who can be a Matt Ryan, or well, maybe not a Matt Ryan straight away, but can make a big jump up next year? Yeah, I think uh, Tanny, he did a great job this year. Um, working with Coach Case, you know, uh, being around him uh, week by week and seeing the progress, um, being a teammate and just seeing his confidence as well increase um, and his level of playing just got better and better. And I think that the injury definitely was tough because I think he was on a roll, but he was just hitting it hard in rehab and I know that he'll be hungry for this next year to really just get back to the playoffs because he wasn't kind of able to be the guy that you know is in those games and even playing in that playoff game so I know he's going to be hungry and you know we're all behind him 100%. We bumped into Cam Wake earlier and was chatting to him and I was saying hey going to see you again this year as they get three in what the last four or five years the Dolphins have been over but obviously for somebody who you talked to the beginning about the links to the UK how much love you get from the, the market out there what does that mean to you to get to go out and play in front of friends and family in, in the nation's capital of where you're born? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I wasn't able to play the last time we were over there, so I'm, ex I'm excited, um, you know, super excited. I know that it's at Wembley. I know that they said it sold out really quickly. And it's so the third fastest of all time. Yeah. So I, I think they're, they're paying to see you, big man. <laughs> I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you better put I want to know how many tickets you got asked for. What kind of allocation I, you had to I, give I'm up? I'm going to have to figure that out as well. <laughs> but I'm just ready to like be in Wembley and just see that whole scene. And, you know, when we get there, you know, have to, it has to be a, a great game. And, you know, it'll be, it'll be a fun one for sure. And have the sort of success that Arsenal have had there over their past couple of appearances. Whoa. Well, they, do, do they won a couple of FA Cups, so no, I no, meant okay, it. Okay, okay, I thought you were talking okay. about our was, last game. I, I wasn't talking smack, I was being yeah, nice. You're out of order, you are. <laughs> yeah, that was rough, don't hit me. <laughs> yeah, man, he's out, he's out of <laughs> order. That was rough. Stick with me, Jay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're a disgrace. I really am. You're an absolute disgrace. Uh, Jay, you're also, um, on Sunday, I'm going to be taking over the new area Europe Twitter account and I'll be tweeting out from there and I know you're doing some stuff with them today a few Instagram stories getting involved just tell us a little bit about what you're doing with New Era yeah um, I'm going to be able to go over to the New Era hat wall and you know be able to kind of see all the cool hats they say it's like the biggest hat wall ever um, and I'm doing a bunch of stuff with New Era as well with their Super Bowl campaign so I'm excited about it, it should be fun Look, Jay, really fun catching up with you. Thank you very much for coming out to speak with us. And, uh, yeah, have fun. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we look forward to seeing you out in London this year. Thank you for having me. It was Cheers, a pleasure. Man. Cheers. 
So Ron Jaworski, Lindsay Rhodes and Jay Ajayi. So it's 10am now uh, as we're recording well, this. Well, you're not going to get our thoughts on some of the things? We, uh, we can, yeah. Just the Ron Jaworski, I know we only got in the Philadelphia question right at the end. It, it was his last interview of doing the rounds, I think, all morning. And they really, his, his handler and his bodyguard really didn't care that we didn't mention Philadelphia. They just wanted to get out of there, get out of Dodge, as Nat Coombs would say. And they were happy that I managed to kibosh someone else trying to get Ron for, a, for an interview after us. We could have done anything. We could have gone on even, even longer. But Justin Forsett was waiting, and he was hopping on one foot to the other because he needed a pee. <laughs> and he to- I asked him, so in the, if it's the beginning of the first quarter, Justin, what do you do when you need a pee? And he went, I just go. I just go, it, it means people don't want to tackle me. And, <laughs> and then he said... Why did you not tell me that I would have asked it on air? Well, I would or why did you not just tell him to go to the toilet and then I wouldn't have felt so much pressure to rush Jaworski? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then, and then uh, we got on to talking about what other teams do. In Green Bay, there's a little tent where they pee in a bucket. Yeah, yeah. You is must it, have seen Aaron Rodgers I was going to say, is, this, is, this, is that what he's doing in there? Yeah. In the tent? They've yeah. taken a waz. Behind the curtain, yeah. you know, but you know why they Literally. have the little tent and piss in the bucket? Because it's so cold in Green Bay that if you just piss your cleats like they do in many other oh, places, yeah, yeah. it can cause you some real issues because yeah. it can freeze. Even piss though piss cleats. is warm, not cleats. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's that long, Liam. Just straight into my shoes. <laughs> it would run down, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh. Eventually, yeah, but it's got a long way to go. I mean, if you're wearing the white pants, like that wouldn't be a strong look. This is a family show, but it's not great now. It's not, it's not been for a while, mate. Um, so, yeah, 10am now, Saturday morning. There's a guy just walked past his sunglasses. It's about minus five, mate. It's, it's really cold out, yeah. Super Bowl kicks <laughs> off. Chew it on ice. I'm going I'm, I'm to do it. I'm gonna <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> didn't even realise. <laughs> it's really cold. <laughs> um... It's 31 hours till the Super Bowl kicks off, and we want to do another show tomorrow morning, but uh, a day out, how excited is everyone about watching the Patriots for a fourth time? Just personally, I don't mean for in a, a Super Bowl. time? Twice at Wembley, twice at Super Bowls. I've not seen them before. Have you not? You've Have never they? seen... You weren't at the Rams game? Oh, no, I was at the Rams game, yeah. There we go. Just yeah. erase that from your memory, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. That first touchdown was great. Beyond that, After that, that was a horrible, horrible game to watch. Um, I'm looking forward to the matchup more than anything because I think it's they haven't faced an offense like this since the Rams' greatest show on turf. Certainly not at this stage. Um, and I'm really excited to see what Belichick's done over the past two weeks to try and slow it down. Um, and I know, I know, we say, oh, it's the Patriots. We've seen him so often, but you also got to appreciate that. It's one of the greatest ever teams, and in five years' time, perhaps when Brady and Belichick have retired, we'll look back at this and think, wow, how fortunate was I to see that great team in two Super Bowls and four times live. And, and I mean, as um, it, this is how Greg Rosenthal put it on the TalkSport 2 NFL show, but this is like the, the trilogy for Belichick in a while, in, ter- in a way, in terms of great defensive scheming, because having managed to do it as a defensive coordinator against the Bills 
and then managing to do it against the greatest show on turf and, and manage to maintain them. If he does it against the highest-powered offence in years for a third time, mm. it'll show that just beyond being a great head coach, he is the brilliant defensive mind he's always been and still can focus on that side of the ball so well. And that's still why I'm leaning towards the Patriots. And, and I've, I've not gone off that really all week. Unlike last year, where I flip-flopped about 15 yeah. times, I, I've, I've been sticking with the Pats. Don't I'm, get me wrong. I'm steadfastly sticking with the Falcons. I just believe... I. I can't bring myself to be thinking of watching. It's not the Patriots winning, but it's Matthew Sherry and his uh. his smug, mouth breathing face. Just <laughs> <laughs> you understand they're probably going to listen to this. Oh, uh, yeah, probably. Or not. Sherry does enjoy it. But did you? Um, did I you love you, Matt. I really do. Did you see Peter Ki- Peter King's pool report yet? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to the bank. Uh, Peter King's pool the report. The deeper you get, the more impressive it is. Yeah. If I was um, doing this, you'd be playing hell. <laughs> you were. You were angry at people yeah. sabotaging yes. you, and you're sabotaging Liam. I was. Right I, I was angry at them sabotaging the pod, not me personally. I, well, it's technically you as well. I think you need to apologise to Liam. I, I'm really sorry. It's Liam. fine. It's, I've, I've forgotten about it. F***ing prick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Liam, carry on. I was going to say two things. Um, what, what were they? Peter King was, obviously, he's doing the pool reports for the Falcons this week, mm-hmm. and he said that Matt Ryan yesterday was unbelievable, Was didn't miss a beat, was absolutely nailed everything. I know it's practice, but you know the the confidence he's played over the last few weeks on it. I do really expect him to have a really really strong game, even against that Patriots defense. And I, th- I think it could be high scoring, really high scoring. If he wins the MVP tonight, and then goes on and has that sort of performance tomorrow, I think this one season and a Super Bowl win will be enough to enter him into the Hall of Fame conversation. I, I, because of the stages out in his career, I think it'll be a bit like Eli, where we're saying, uh, Eli knows he's got the two rings, but a lot of people still want to see him do more before they enter him in. But with Matt Ryan, I think he's still got five or six good seasons in front of him. And if, I mean, if what we assume is going to happen, the quarterback coach is going to step up into that. Matt LaFleur. Yeah, Matt LaFleur. I always want to call him Fryer for some reason instead of Fleur. LaFleur is such a lovely name. Great I don't know why I want to change it. Um, assuming he is going to step up into the assistant role, which uh, I think he should do, and I hope he does, and, and they can carry on that system, then there's every potential for this to just get, as be as good as it's been over the last year. So, I, it, he has been phenomenal this year and it, he is the reason if they are going to do something they are going to do it and I you know I hope that there's a it's kind of an on-running joke about how much I hate the Patriots but I genuinely want the Falcons to win because I think that's the most interesting for the future for of the, the NFL yeah. I think that is what's uh, you know yes we can all sit here and if we've seen you and I two Patriots Super Bowl wins and five overall and it's an amazing thing to have seen great dynasty it was something we'll be talking about in 30 or 40 years time we're probably still doing this bloody podcast but it is <laughs> uh, <laughs> right mate I really enjoy it <laughs> I do too mate Thanks, I do too um, I was just going to point out the Patriots as much as we're crediting Belichick's coaching ability I think one of the things I've been talking to people about a lot this week is how good of a, a talent evaluator is. There's a, a stat you just pulled out about the amount of undrafted players that have taken snaps. Would you like to I would get like it to. out about it? Uh, I can tell you the number off the top of my head, but I can't remember exactly. Basically, the Patriots are the team who, in the last decade, so since 2007, since I think that was the la- that was the third of their three, wasn't it? The third of their original three was. Around then was it? Two thousand and seven was the year where they were going to go unbeaten and lost. To uh, the right, Giants, and lost yeah. to the Giants. Yeah, absolutely, it was. So since that, so since that season, so in the last ten seasons, they have had the most snaps of any team by undrafted players, fifty-four thousand. It's just staggering. I mean, you, you kind of gloss over it, but you know, Brady, 
199th pick in the draft. Edelman, sixth round, had had caught one pass in college, was then converted as now their leading receiver. LeGarrette Blunt was available for free um, last offseason, leads the league in rushing touchdowns. Malcolm Butler was an undrafted free agent. It's incredible how he manages to keep picking up these pieces and turning them into greats. Brilliant stuff. Look, gents, always enjoyable. We're going to go off and do the Lee Steinberg party, and then we're going to we're going to the Super Bowl tomorrow. Not bad. Like I said, we might... Cheer up, Ollie. We might bang out a little X's and O's type podcast tomorrow morning, because I think if we don't, Matt Sherry might be a little bit sad. But if we don't, the next time we'll speak will be Monday morning, Sunday night our time, to reflect on Super Bowl 51. Can't wait. Looking forward oh, to mate. it. Gents, Brilliant. always a pleasure. Uh... Still go to our Super Bowl party, gridiron-magazine.com forward slash Super Bowl L-I, or just head to at Gridiron on Twitter to find out all the information. And if you've enjoyed hearing our slightly rambling all over the shop, uh, but lots of fun tales from this trip, why not come and join us for a similar one in about nine or ten months' time when we head down to the deep and dirty south and uh, we do hopefully to see at least the Falcons' new stadium, maybe the Super Bowl-winning Falcons' oh, new stadium. Wouldn't that be amazing? Banner up. He- heading to New got Orleans to, New to go to the Mercedes-Benz. Or it end in New Orleans? I think it would start in New Orleans. That's what Cam Jordan wanted. We're talking about maybe going to Tennessee, LSU, catch some Friday night lights. You know, it's going to be fantastic. So, touchdowntrips.com gumbo. for more information about that. Gumbo is uh, a food. Well what, done, Ollie. What's the Ferrari of gumbo? New Orleans gumbo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if there's not a better place to finish the podcast today, I don't know where it is. So thank you very much for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show. This is great banter. <laughs>